בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה. Uh, good to be here, ברוך השם, לזה שיעור מיאמי, סלאש אפנטורה, in my opinion. Um, we uh, started a lecture last night, about this משנה in אבות, that uh, talks about מזכי הרבים, זיכוי הרבים, קירוב. זיכוי הרבים literally means to uh, benefit the public, to bring benefit to the public. Um, and uh, to bring merits, in essence, to the uh, public. That's the benefit. And uh, we spent the night, Baruch Hashem, last night, talking about all of the different, uh, or many of the different reasons of why this should be the number one investment in our life. Uh, more than our cars and our houses and our whatever else people invest in, Uh, people invest in uh, so many different things in this world uh, that uh, they, f- they forget that eventually it's all going to become meaningless because they're going to die. So even if all of their investments go up in value and all the houses and all the cars and all the paintings and all the jewels and all the bitcoins and all of the different things that they have in material, they all appreciate in value and they do exactly what they thought it was going to do. And their net worth skyrockets. And they go from being dead broke to being number one in the Forbes 500. And the next day they die. So, now, even, the, even though they got everything they wanted, they don't even have enough time to enjoy it. So, Mr. Hashem, we'll continue, we'll, we'll finalize that chapter in regards to the cure, but also talk about the, other, the opposite aspect of it. The opposite aspect of it of what is the cost of not only not doing it uh, but also doing the opposite being a mahti Arabim, being a person that causes the public to sin Hasva Shalom uh, puts us in a uh, very very unique category uh, and then Hashem, we're also going to talk about how to actually rebuke because Baruch Hashem, all of these shiurim we've been doing for the last few years, I see that a lot of people have been woken up. A lot of people have realized that it's time that uh, for us to stop being quiet and start saying something about it. Uh, but, uh, thank you, please give me a But in many cases, people are um, having a tough time with it. Either they're not getting the right reaction from the people they're rebuking. You know, they're telling people, To change and uh, the people are telling them to go fly kite uh, they tell them to change and the people ignore them completely or they even fight back so the question is how much to how often do we do it how do we do it and so on and so forth we'll talk about the actual Allah the actual Allah of what you're supposed to do uh, Because the Allah is not only going to tell us what's allowed, what's not allowed, it's also going to give us an idea of how to do it. What are you supposed to do? Um, especially in a world today where uh, telling people to change in a religious world is very uncommon. So B'zad Hashem, this year we'll go to a refuah uh, to Levana Bat Also, Hadas Batsara, um, Doris Bajora, David Ben Nesriya, 
דבורה בת נרסדס, אלישבע חיה בת שרה. בעזרת השם, all of עם ישראל, בעזרת השם, will have רפואה שלמה. רפואת הנפש, רפואת הגוף. Not a day goes by without uh, more news of the development of the Jewish world today and how we must be getting closer and closer to Mashiach because the situation deteriorates. Today I heard from uh, one of our dear students in Manchester that the head rabbi of England who... self-proclaimed, put himself in the same category as the Rishon Letzion of all of Am Yisrael right now, which is uh, Rabbi Tzchak Yosef, Rabbi Yosef's son. Rabbi Tzchak Yosef is the head rabbi of the Sephardic uh, people uh, today. Uh, and it's considered the Rishon Letzion. He rebuked him some time ago uh, about certain things that he said, meaning the head rabbi of England rebuked publicly. the Rishon Letzion, for certain things that he said that he didn't agree with, instead of just calling him or meeting him and telling him that he felt that he should go to the news and say such things. Unique type of behavior. Completely ignoring the fact of his own, of his own behavior. If you remember, I told you uh, recently, maybe a couple of months ago, that uh, they started a new Christian theology teachings in Jewish college in England. He's the president. This, this head rabbi of England is the president of the college that's now teaching Christianity to Jewish people. So if, if that wasn't bad enough, last week, He uh, told people to pray extra for the Goyish team the, that is playing in the World Cup soccer. To pray for them. To pray for the team of England. To pray for them. To win. Because somehow this is good for Am Yisrael. And to pray on Shabbat, because the team was playing on Shabbat. Now they lost, I heard today they lost, Baruch Hashem, they lost. <laughs> And he's telling me that there are actually Jewish people in the Jewish community, the religious Jewish community, that are crying in the street because the soccer team lost. And the head rabbi, if that wasn't bad enough, the head rabbi of England went to the non-Jewish soccer team and gave them a lecture to give them some chizuk and said that their coach is the, is the, is the uh, idol type of, uh, is the ideal leader. Instead of saying Moshe Rabbeinu is the ideal leader, he's saying their coach is the ideal leader. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if you are paying attention, but it, it just seems like things go from bad to worse. 
and because we're just um, we're living such a lie, calling ourselves religious in some cases. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's why. I don't know what the point is. The word religious, the word orthodox, has become completely meaningless. Either you keep mitzvot or you don't. It's either you have yirat or you don't. It's either you care about God or you don't. All of those other details, the way you want to describe yourself, orthodox, 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 all this other stuff, literally has become meaningless. Completely meaningless. Because right now, I know quite a few orthodox Jews that are worse than reform. Worse than reform. Unfortunately, some of them are actually rabbis that teach people reform mentality under the orthodox umbrella. And this is what we call a machtia rabin. This is what we call someone that causes the public to sin. And they're in a class of their own, which we're going to talk about tonight. But how do we get ourselves out of that? How do we, how do we keep ourselves away from this danger? First and foremost, we should listen to the biggest Talmud Chacham in the world today, or at least top few, I don't know if there's anyone else in his class, Zav Kanievsky. Zav Kanievsky, it's Kodesh Kodeshim, Kulot Torah, he's all, his whole being is Torah. Completely disassociated from this world. His father, the, the stipler Gaon, had Ruach HaKodesh. Some even say that the uh, Rav Kanievsky does as well. I don't know these things. I don't understand these things. It doesn't really make a difference. When someone can finish the entire Shaz Bavli, the entire Shaz Shuoshalmi, every single Midrash in existence, the entire Tanakh, the entire Shulchan Aruch, the entire Zohar, and several other things that I can't remember off the top of my head, every single year, might as well have Ruach HaKodesh, might as well be a prophet, might as well be anything you want, might as well be Mashiach, for all I know. Because it's so far removed from reality, our reality, for someone to even do one of those things every year. He does it every year for years, years. This person's complete Torah. And him with all of his Torah, he said the most difficult midah, most difficult midah, the most difficult character trait to preserve, to have, is emit. Midat, I emit. The character trait of standing for the truth. Why? Because sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes the real truth goes against your truth. That's really a figment of your imagination. Sometimes the truth that you have is really not true, but you can't face the truth because that would require you to change. Sometimes the truth is going to force you to do things you don't want to do, like move to a different community, like change synagogue that you've been going to for many, many years, maybe even change religions. Realize that your Christianity or Muslim or Buddhism, all that stuff is complete nonsense. Sometimes the truth may lead you to divorce. Sometimes truth may lead you to change careers. 
Meaning truth, the Midat Ahemet, has a very, very deep price. Very, very steep price. It's, it's expensive. Why? Because in order for you to attain it, you have to live it. It requires change. When the prophet Micha, or Micah in, uh, in English, says in chapter 7, verse 20, Give Yaakov emet and kindness to Avram. What does it mean give to give uh, emet to Yaakov? Who is this Yaakov? What do you mean? Yaakov is what, 4,000 years ago. How are you going to give him any emet? What do you know? What do I know I'm going to give Yaakov something? This is referring to us, not referring to ya- Yaakov died already. He left. He's already in Olam Abba, enjoying Gan Eden, Olam Abba. <laughs> what are we going to give him? What are you, you going to give him? Yaakov Rabotai Yekarim, the sages explained to us, Yaakov is a term used for Am Yisrael when they're in the exile. When Am Yisrael is in the exile, they're referred to as Yaakov. When Am Yisrael is during the times of Bitter Mikdash with holiness and Kedushah, what they're going to be when the Mashiach arrives, Be'ezrat Hashem, that's Am Yisrael. That's Yisrael. But we're in the exile, we Yaakov. Why? Because when Yosef HaTzadik was away from his father for over 20 years and is under the impression that he died, Yaakov was such in such deep sadness that he couldn't, he couldn't he couldn't deal with it. And he lost his prophetic ability. He lost his ability to be a prophet for over 20 years. And you'll notice in the parasha that immediately after he was told that Yosef was killed, his name changed back from Israel to Yaakov. And immediately when he believed and he accepted that Yosef is actually alive, when the Shvatim, the brothers, came to him and says, Abba, Yosef, old Yosef, Chai, Yosef, our brother, he's alive and he's the viceroy of Egypt. Initially, he didn't believe them. But then after it, when he believed it, you see literally within the same verse, it goes from Yaakov back to Israel. Why? He got his prophetic ability back. Because you cannot be a prophet if you're sad. So Rav Kanievsky, Sheikhyeh, is telling us that Midata Emet, the character trait of Emet, is the most difficult one to have. It's also the one that's necessary to not only be a Mezakeh Rabin, be a person that does Kiruv, if you want your Kiruv to work, and you're not just looking for a popularity contest, if you actually want people to do Tshuva, and not just donate money to your cause of building a bigger house, a nicer car, like the televangelists do. These Christian televangelists, they come to their congregation of 10, 15, 20, 50, 100,000 people, and tell them, listen, if you understand God, then you'll understand giving me $65 million to buy another jet. Say Amen. And everybody says Amen, they give him $65 million. 
$65 million. $65 million for a plane. And Zaghi doesn't have a plane already. He has one. There's three. There's four or five. But he needs another one. He says, God wants me to have another $65 million jet. Say amen. Everybody says amen. And they give him $65 million. Why? He has to travel. To where? You know, to, the, to the slopes, to go skiing, to, to, you know, God wants him to go ski. Televangelist. Christian televangelist. Why do they give him $65 million, Rabbi? Why do they give him $65 million and the biggest donation we received today was 500 How come he got $65 million, we got 500 And that's a good day, 500 How come? Why does he get $65 million? Because emit is not part of the speech. The speech is telling everybody, you're all tzaddikim. You're all righteous. You're all winners. And any sins you're making, this idiot that died 2,000 years ago, he's covering for you. And I'm here to testify. And he gives him a concert on stage with some music, some ACDC. One of these guys in North Carolina wears ripped jeans, has painted hair, looks like a rock star. But he's a televangelist, he's a priest, a pastor, whatever he is. The saddest part about it is, Rabotai, is some of these so-called pastors, some of these so-called televangelists, are actually Jewish by Halakha. Some of the most successful ones are actually Jewish by Halakha. Their mother's Jewish. But when their parents and their grandparents ran away from the truth to such an extent that they said, listen, there's no way we can continue to observe these laws from 3,000 years ago that require the husband and the wife to be separated for almost half the month, that require us to maintain a specific restricted diet, that require us to take a break from the mundane once a week, that require us to dip our, 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 our uh, utensils into water before we use them. Requires to do all these things that seem like they're old and outdated. There's no way. But we can't just become animals and live off of instincts. So we have to justify our behavior. So what do we do? Oh, there's something else that says that uh, it's also based on the Torah. What is it? It's a New Testament. It's a New Testament, it includes the Torah, doesn't it? Yeah, it's in the back. No one actually ever looks at it, but it's in the back. It's in the same book, it's like in the back. You look at like, you know, you look at like a few chapters in Isaiah, chapter 9, 53, every one of them knows it by heart. They skipped everything in between. They know a few Psalms. They know a couple of chapters in Daniel. Five books of Moses? No, that's not, that's not, it's not enough time to, to learn it. And the spiritual laziness of these non-Jewish people infected the Jews to such an extent that the Jews started wanting to become not Jewish. If you notice, every religious person in every religion is proud of their religion. The Hindus that worship cows and bicycles and money and Donald Trump and rats and snakes, and motorcycles, 
If you go to each and every single one of them that's giving an offering to their idol, they're as proud of their religion as any parent would be if their son became, I don't know, the biggest rabbi in the world or the president or something that you think is valuable in the world. They're so proud of their religion, they don't even think twice about offering their house as an offering to their God. I know somebody that literally built a company over several decades in a country full of poverty and became a multimillionaire and then gave it all to an idol and became poor. You ask him, would you do it again? He'd happily do it again. Why? In his mind, he's so proud of his false god. There was no other thing, there's no, there's no second thought. What do you mean? If you skip over to the Muslims, any real Muslim that's not willing to die for Allah, for the sake of delivering the word of Muhammad, the illiterate, who doesn't know how to actually write or read. No, really, he says it in their books, in their own Quran. He does not, he's illiterate. He doesn't know how to read or write. But yet somehow he was righteous enough that God sent an angel. He couldn't send it to someone that was literate. And any Muslim that doesn't want to live to such an extent he's willing to die for this Muhammad guy, it's not a real Muslim. In fact, if you break the, the laws of, of, of Muhammad and his Quran, they kill you in the street. In Iran, right now, if they know you're homosexual, they're hanging you on the spot. No, 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 no trial, no nothing. They'll kill you on the spot. If a woman, if a woman acts immodestly, shows some type of immodesty in the streets in Iran, in Saudi Arabia, in any one of these countries, they'll kill you on the spot. No trial, no jail sentence. No, no, they'll just kill you. Death penalty. In Afghanistan, they still have stoning. They're still stoning. They still st- a woman that uh, you know was uh, 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 suspected, suspected of being with somebody without marriage. Not that she killed somebody or so. she was with somebody without marriage. They had a video of, of the whole K line Afghanistan stoning her to death. You ask any one of these Muslims that prays five times a day in the middle of Broadway, New York, in the middle of Brooklyn, in the middle of London, in the middle of Manchester, in the middle of every single place on this planet. They're like cockroaches everywhere. You ask any one of them, are you, are you uh, embarrassed of your religion? While they're praying, they're embarrassed. We're the best. I tell you, we're embarrassed. Look at us. We all look like we just came from the mother country. They all look like they just came from, uh, from, from the desert. They still wear the same clothes. They still act the same way. Now there's actually a media campaign to make Islam look like a friendly, loving religion. You see some pictures on the internet of their advertising propaganda. They see the young, handsome Muslim guy with the turban and his uh, new wife with the, with, the, with the burqa covering her everything, barely showing anything at all. Hamas, very, very modest. And they're both very happy. And on the bottom, they write in English. Of course, English, because it's in Arabic. They're already... In English, like, look at the happy prince with his princess. 
ממש unbelievable, you see. And I'm thinking to myself, ריבונו של עולם, why don't we do the same thing? Why don't you see any, any uh, newlywed Jewish, Orthodox Jewish kids, you know, him having his nice hat, you know, with a little beard, and her, she has a kisui rosh, not the wig like the goyim, but actual real kisui rosh, like Sarah Imenu, like Rivka Imenu, like our, like our matriarchs, and say, oh, look, happy couple, how come we don't have the same campaign? How come the Christians are able to build hundreds and hundreds of churches on an annual basis? Every church gets bigger. Some of these churches are so big, they have multiple locations. It's unbelievable. Multiple locations for a single church. They can't fit enough people. They don't have anything to do with the money, so they buy jets. So much money is being invested, the, everyone gives ma'asel. There's no such thing as not giving a tithe. Tithe is the minimum requirement. You make 60,000, 6,000 goes to the church. Well, what if I need 60? Too bad, you have to give 6,000 to the church. You make a million, you have to give 100,000 to the church. Well, what if, it doesn't make a difference. It's, it's, not, it's not your money. There's no such thing as not giving 10%. It's not like, oh, it's hard. No, it's not. People will literally, people will literally are willing to go on the street, get a second, third, or fourth job just so the church has money. Yeah, but the church has money. Just bought a $60 million jet. No, no, it's not enough. You ask any one of them, uh, are you, uh, do you ever think of maybe something else? Maybe there's something. But very proud of being a Christian. Very proud of being a Muslim. Very proud of being a Hindu, Shmindu, Buddhist. Very proud. All of them dress like they are. All of them are proud of what they are. All of them praise their God, false or not. The reality is to them it's as real as day. Every single Christian that's a real Christian is a missionary. Why? Their New Testament says you have to be one. Every Muslim... Every Muslim is a missionary. Why? Because their Quran says it. If you remember several months ago, I told you that dawah is their word for kiruv. Even the guys selling the hot dogs in New York, the halal stuff, they have stickers and they give CDs and all types of things to their customers, American customers, Christian customers, unfortunately Jewish customers sometimes. They give them CDs and stickers and invite them to their events. Why? Recruit! Every one of them is so proud. It doesn't, there's no like you should do Kiruv. There's no lectures about it. It's part of the gig. You want to be a Christian? You got to be a missionary. You want to be Muslim? You got to be a missionary. You want to be uh, Hindu? You got to be a missionary. Want to do uh, Buddhist? Got to be a missionary. Every one of them does their own version of Kiruv for their false god. Every one of them is proud as, de- proud as anything. So proud they want to put their money where their mouth is. The only ones that we have to beg to maybe, maybe you're going to do Kiru. Maybe you're going to get people to come to the Knesset. Maybe you can get one of your friends to come. You have 30 friends, you told me. Maybe you can get one of them to come to the issue. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, if I get a chance. Bli neder, bli neder. Hopefully, you can come to this year. Yeah, yeah. I'll come to the second half of this year. 
Only Am Yisrael, Ishtabach the holy nation, the, the, the Kodesh Kodeshim, is embarrassed to be themselves. Only Am Yisrael wants to look like the Goyim. Only Am Yisrael wants to be like everybody else. No one else wants to be us, if you notice. But only we want to be like them. Isn't there something wrong with that picture? Doesn't anybody else notice there's something wrong? The problem is that living this lie is not only not helping our cause, it's destroying us. When you have Tisha B'Av coming up in less than two weeks, the worst day in Jewish history, the worst day in world history, most Jews not only are not looking forward to it, not only are dreading it, but in many cases, they don't even know it's coming up. Why? Because unless you're really, really frum, you don't know the Jewish calendar. You still use the, the, the calendar from the Christians. You're still using the calendar of the Christians. August, uh, September, July, all these months. You tell me, oh yeah, it's uh, Tishrei. What? What's Tishrei? It's the first month. Oh, it's Av, Av. Well, what's Av? Who? My father? No, no, no. Av, the month. Av. Well, what's Av? First of Av, Rosh Chodesh is on Friday. What's Rosh Chodesh? What's the head of the month? Oh, it's the beginning of the month. Most Jews don't know the, the, the Hebrew calendar. Which, by the way, itself is a genius, genius thing. If you actually understand, the genius behind the, the Hebrew calendar is one of the best proofs in the Torah itself of its divinity. One of the best proofs of the genius, the wisdom of the sages of how they constructed a calendar several thousand years in advance to make sure that specific days don't fall on, a specific holidays don't fall on specific days. Like for example, you're never going to see the Yom Kippur being on Friday or Saturday. This, had, this requires an extraordinary amount of math. But the point being is that most Jews don't even know it. Most Jews don't care for it. You tell them it's Rosh Chodesh, they tell you, do I have to do anything? You tell them it's Tisha B'Av, they tell you, is this one of those, those days I have to fast, or is this like one of those, like, I don't really have to do it, but you should, which means I'm not doing it. <laughs> is this fast like Yom Kippur, or is it like, yeah, half a Kippur? It's like, it's, like, it's like a fast that, like, if I'm not hungry, if I'm not hungry, then I'm fasting. It's a fast between meals. Most Jews don't know. Why? Because we don't have midata emit. We have not worked enough on our midata emit, our character trait of emit, because emit is very expensive. There was one time I heard this joke today. It's very funny, but a lot of musar from this joke. It was a Chabadnik in Israel, known to go to the newsstand and only buy the newspapers of the Arabs, Al Jazeera and the rest of their friends. Every day he's buying the, uh, the newspaper of the Arabs. 
After a while, they see this little Chabadnik Jewish guy buying, uh, they say, okay, listen, you're already buying all the Arab newspapers. Buy a Jewish newspaper. Whatever, I don't know, maybe you like it, maybe you investigate, who knows why you're buying their newspapers in the first place. Newsstand doesn't care, just wants to make money. But still, buy, buy a Jewish newspaper also. What's the problem? We racist? <laughs> he says, no. Israeli newspaper is depressing. Because why? Why is it depressing? Because I open a newspaper, immediately in an Israeli newspaper, the prime minister is complaining about the Arabs killing us. Then uh, the guy that's head of the money, the treasurer, is talking about how the economy is terrible. Then the Department of Agriculture is telling us how we're not going to have any food. And the water is down. And the kinelet is getting dried up. Oh, it's depressing. He goes, okay, so what do you get from the Arab newspapers? Arab newspapers immediately on the spot say the Jews are controlling the world. They're so successful. They're running everything. All the money is going to them. I say, I hear good things about Am Yisrael. I'm looking for good news about Am Yisrael. So I read the Arab newspaper. Meaning that even if it's a lie, we rather listen to it. Why? Because Emet is expensive. Emet is expensive. Now I'm going to read you guys a prayer. There's a prayer that we read. And I don't know if you remember this prayer, if you read this prayer, I don't know. But I want, I want to ask you guys, maybe you could help me and tell me when do we actually read this prayer? What time of the year is it? One of the holidays of Pesach, Yom Kippur? Is it Shavuot? Is it... Uh, what is it? A person should always be fearing of heaven in private and in public and should admit the truth. And say, Master of the world, Lord of all lords, not on the account of our own righteousness do we place our supplications before you, but on your abundant mercies. Adonai Shema, Adonai Sadlacha, Adonai Akshiva, Hashem, hear, Hashem, forgive, Hashem, listen, fulfill my request, do not delay for your sake. Here we already see from the beginning we are... Begging. It says, Machayenu, Machazdenu, Matzikotenu. What is our life? What is our kindness? What is our righteousness? Meaning we're nothing. What meaning? What do we have? Makochenu, Magvuratenu. What power do we have? What might do we have? Manomar lefanecha Adonai Eloheinu, Veloavotenu. What can we say in front of you? What can we say before you, Hashem, our God? What can we say? The God of our forefathers. All of the heroes are like nothing before you. All the iron domes, all the weapons, all nothing. It's all nothing. It's all meaningless. The men of fame, the famous people, it's like they never existed. In front of you, who are these people, Bechlal? And 
And then we go and it says, Ki kol tov All of our actions are void. And all of the days of our lives are worthless. All of the days of our lives are worthless before you. Is there, what's the difference between a man over a beast? It's non-existent. There's no difference. Why? It's everything is worthless. Meaning all of our actions are worthless. What do we do? That makes us better than a cow. Makes us better than a lion. Better than any, What makes us better? Accept the soul, the neshama, that is pure, which in the future has to give din v'cheshbon, justification and accounting, before the throne of glory. And all the nations are like nothing in front of you. Here we see, we're begging Hashem. We're begging Hashem here. We tell Him, listen, we acknowledge we're nothing. But please help us. We acknowledge that our whole life is nothing. But please help us. Why? Why help us? Why? For what? For your own sake. Why? Because you promised it to who? To Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. But the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says, Something that most of Am Yisrael, including the religious people, do not know. We always say, yeah, we have schut avot, schut avot, we have the merit of the forefathers. Merit of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. The Gemara asks, so this merit of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, how come we still go through disasters? Oh, you ran out of merit. It's spent. The merit of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov is gone, spent. When? The time of the Beit HaMikdash. There's a conflict, there's a debate of exactly the precise time. There's a few verses in the Torah, in the book of Jeremiah, in the book of Ezekiel, and before, of when exactly this merit was officially depleted. But bottom line is, everyone agrees, it's gone. So they ask, why do we mention it then? If the merit of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov is no more, why do we keep mentioning it every day? So, the promise is still alive, meaning that the, 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 the original deal is still alive, but the merit of why we have the right to exist, Bechlal, we've depleted that. Depleted that already for over 2,000 years, Rabotai. But yet we still mention it. Why? There's an agreement, please help us, we're nothing, we're nothing, we're nothing. We know that the only thing that's worth anything that distinguishes us from the animals distinguishes us from everything, is that we're going to actually have a neshama that has to pay judgment. When do we actually read this? Amosh, you're not allowed to say because you saw what I'm reading. Everyone else, when do we read this? What time of the year do we read this? Every single day. Now you would think we read this on Yom Kippur. You would think we read this on Rosh Hashanah. You would think we read this on Tisha B'Av. Kaputai. You read this in the beginning of your prayer, well before even Shema Yisrael. Just to start your day, you're telling yourself, I'm nothing. 
Hashem, I know I'm nothing. I know my actions are nothing. I know even what I'm trying to do is really nothing. And really the only thing that has any value is the fact that I have an Hashem that eventually I'm going to have to pay for, 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 for all the sins I've made, for all the mitzvot that I have. So in essence, I'm trying to become something. Please give me some time. Not even for my own merit. We're begging and pleading, Hashem Barach, please help us every single morning. Do we feel like we're begging or do we feel like we just can't wait till we finish the prayer to go to work? You see anybody ever cry in this section of the prayer? You see anybody ever go on, their, on down on their knees like the Arabs? Arabs go down on their knees like we used to in the Bet HaMikdash. Bet HaMikdash, we used to all go on our knees, all four, everything. That's where they learned it from, the, uh, the Arabs. We stopped doing it because they started doing it. It became Maasegoim. We still do it once a year, but the point is, is that you ever see anybody go down on their knees, beg Hashem, Mamash, beg, beg. You're people you see begging from the street for money all the time. But you ever see somebody say, oh, please Hashem, I have no right to live, but please give me some more time to do tshuva. Do you ever see this, anybody in the world? See somebody in Beknesset, please Hashem, please Hashem. If you go on your knees tomorrow, they're going to kick you out of the shul. So what's the matter with you? Were you an Arab? What's the matter with you? Oh, I heard it from some rabbi. From oh, I don't know what rabbi you have. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a sheikh. <laughs> you went to the wrong class, wrong address. <clears throat> Not even fanatic. Different religion according to our standards. Why? We're not supposed to be begging. You know how many times a week I get emails from people and people tell me, listen, I always tell people it's, it's important. You know, people tell me, I hear from Yeshurim, it's important to have Yirat Shemaim, Yirat Shemaim. I tell people, you should be fear Hashem, you should fear Hashem. So why should I fear him? It's completely, like we're completely dumbfounded when we hear the words fear of Hashem. Yet we say it in our prayers every day. We say the word fear, if you do the ratio of fear to love, maybe a hundred to one. Maybe for every single time we say love God in the Torah is a hundred times fear. It's not like close, like it's five to six or five to seven or two to one or three to one. No, no. We're talking about mathematics. We're talking about a hundred to one. It's not even close. But the only way that you will even notice this is if you notice the first verse of this prayer. A person should always be fearing of heaven in private and in public and should admit the emit. Live a life of emit, of truth. It's the beginning of your prayer every day. If you're going to live a day of emit, you already have a good start. If not, don't bother praying. You're a liar. The rest of your prayer is full of lies. Some people say, you know, in, 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 in a Amida, I'm dust and ashes, I'm nothing, nothing. Then somebody bumps into them and in during the tefillah uh, or during the and they start pushing, going crazy. Hey, who do you think you are? Watch yourself. Hey, didn't you say you're dust? Didn't you say you're ashes? Midat ha'emet, midat ha'emet, rabotai ekarim, midat ha'emet is a critical midah. 
And part of the emet is to understand the necessity to do kiru. Part of the emet is to understand that just like we say in our prayer that we're incomplete. Just like we say that even what we've learned is not enough. Even what we did is not enough. Even though we feel like we're really good in reality, it's not enough. And I'm talking about the people that have already started doing tshuva. I'm talking about the people that have already gotten rid of the attachment to the Yetzirah. They're just battling with them, but they're not BFFs with them. Still with all the good deeds that we're doing and all the money that we're donating or we want to donate and all the things that we're learning or what we want to learn and all the mitzvot that we're doing and that we want to do, with all of that stuff, still we start off every single day telling Hashem we know it's not enough. So when you look in the mirror, you're not looking and you're seeing Moshe Rabbeinu. You're seeing someone that's aspiring to be Moshe Rabbeinu. It's a necessity. That emet is a necessity. Why? Because if you think you're Moshe Rabbeinu, your tshuva officially ended. But if you realize you still want to aspire to be like Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, all the righteous, you have a lot of work to do. But like we talked about last night in regards to Kiruv, Kiruv is not necessarily just for us to be nice. Kiruv is also a matter of survival. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18, the end of the chapter, the prophet says the following, the Prophet says, in the name of Hashem, do tshuva and bring others back. Get other people to do tshuva from all of your transgressions. So that they, meaning your sins, your past sins, will not be an obstacle for your iniquity. So the first verse he says, you should do tshuva, but you get other people to do tshuva. Why? Because your sins in the past could be used, could be an obstacle for your tshuva. Why? A sin doesn't just go away just because you're nice today. A sin doesn't go away just because you don't like it anymore. A sin is there. What is it like? Meiri, Rabbi Shalom, says that a sin is like someone that stole. Someone that stole money, it got caught. Now, of course, we wouldn't even consider his tshuva. We wouldn't even consider his case at all and to free him from jail until he returned what he stole. Meaning that if he says, no, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to steal it, I really feel bad, I know now because I stole it, the husband and the wife got into a fight, and then he got mad at her, and then she got mad at him, and they got divorced, 
and and ah, and the kids are crying, and now they're orphans, and now they're homeless, and all thing happened. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, thank you very much for your sorry, buddy. Can, can you give it back? Can you give back the money you stole? Can you give back the carpet you stole? Can you give back the car you stole? Can you give it back? Oh, I have to. Meaning, your sorry is not even a consideration. Your words are completely meaningless until you return the stolen goods. That's a sin. That's a sin. The sin we've made in the past, whatever it was, the tshuva itself, we're doing tshuva, we're trying to add more mitzvot, we're trying to add more mitzvot, stop making sins, make more mitzvot, stop making sins, make more mitzvot. But yes, that's all good, but there's still sins in the bank. There's still sins, there's still, you stole something, it's still there. What do you do? So the prophet Ezekiel says, listen, these sins, you do tshuva, shecha, good for you, you do tshuva. The problem is you still have sins. Those sins could be an obstacle. So how do you really, how do you get yourself to, to, away from this obstacle? Return others back. Get other people to do tshuva. Cast off from upon yourselves all your transgressions through which you have transgressed and make for yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, O house of Israel? For do I, for I do not desire the death of the one who should die. The word of the Lord Hashem Elohim, turn yourselves back and live. Meaning, do tshuva and live. He says, ah, I don't want you to die. Yes, I know you're all destined to, at some point the body goes away, but that's not real death. That's just the end of this world. There's eternity. There's something that's beyond this world. He says, I don't want you to die permanently. I want you to live permanently. Problem is, you still have sins. So yes, you did some mitzvot, ashrech, and good for you. But the problem is, there's still sins. Some of those sins are pretty big. They're going to be an obstacle. Why? Because you're going to come to Shemayim and say, Listen, I uh, kept Shabbat, I kept Talat Mishpacha, I kept Kosher, I kept this, I kept that. God, Shrecha. Oh, can I get in? No. Why not? You're a sinner. What sinner? I just told you, I kept Shabbat, Talat Mishpacha. Oh, and I forgot, I also learned, and I came to the Shul, and there was only ten people, and I was one of them, and I, and I, I did all that stuff. Yeah, good, good. So, can I get in? No. Why? Because you still have some stolen money in your, in, your, in your hands. You still have blood on your hands. You still worship an idol. You still, have, uh, you still wore a wig and you thought it was kosher. You still uh, you know, uh, prayed, but without uh, you prayed to the wrong God. You still said something about the rabbi and because of what you said, the other guy stopped coming to the shiul. And instead of doing tshuva, he actually became a Christian. He became a Muslim. He became an atheist. You still have sins in the bank of certain things that you said. Yeah, I didn't mean it. Okay, you didn't mean it, but those consequences. Mean it, no mean it. doesn't make a difference. There's still consequences. I didn't mean to kill him. Okay, but you still killed him. The fact you didn't mean it, good, you didn't mean it. Okay, good, you didn't mean it, but you still killed him. There's still an outcome for your actions. You shot the gun, he died. Mean it, no mean it. No one cares you mean it, no mean it. He still died. There's an outcome for your actions. The family's still crying, the kids are still crying, the wife is a widow, it's, it's, it's a damage. Mean it, no mean it, okay. This, the outcome is the same. So the prophet says, these things we have in our past, and even in our present, 
they are an obstacle. Why? We go up to Shemaim and say, listen, uh, I did all the good things. He said, good. Problem is, the other stuff that you did bad, you didn't fix it. It didn't go away. So the prophet says there's only one way for it to go away. How? Get other people to do mitzvot. Get those stolen product and bring them back to the store. Get the people that are making the same sins you used to, to stop sinning. That's returning the goods. That's returning the stolen product. Meaning that doing kiruv, being a mezakeh rabim, it's not really a matter of kindness for the public only. It's a matter of kindness for ourselves. It's to save our own neshama. It's no longer just a good thing to do. Oh, wow, good for you. It's actually to save you. Problem is that as much as we talk about it, as much as we try to do it, we still cannot comprehend just how big it is. It's very hard for us to understand how big Zikuya Rabin is. But like I said last night, the Chovot HaLevavot specifically said that even if somebody were to spend their life learning Torah and doing mitzvot and got to the level of Moshe Rabbeinu, who spoke to angels on a regular basis, spoke to Hashem face to face on a regular basis. Every one of the angels gave Moshe Rabbeinu a gift. A gift. Each one of them gave him a gift. The Torah was named after him. Torah Moshe. Five books of Moses. Hashem made a promise to him that everyone will always know Hashem and Moshe. Meaning Hashem put Moshe in his caliber. He says, they're going to believe in me and you. Even the atheists have heard of Moses. All of the religions have heard of Moses. The Chavot HaLevavot says, even if you get to Torah and mitzvot like Moshe Rabbeinu, you will never get to the level of a Mezakeh Rabin, of someone who helps Am Yisrael do tshuva. Why? It's a different world. Hashem Barach loves every single Jew so much, He treats them as if they're the only son. Even though He has many sons, and even more creations, Every Jew is a world of its own. For a Jew to say Amen once in his life, it was worth it for Hashem to create the world. So if all was lost, and all of the creation went against the Creator, but one Jew was wondering, not short, go right, go left, and you happen to be there. Say, hey, I'll go with you. Come, I'll take you. And you go right. You go and bring him back to Abba. You go bring him back to his father in heaven. 
said, Hashem, hey, this is your son. Look, he's got tefillin on, he's got tzitzit, he's got uh, Shabbat now. Look! What do you think the king's going to think? Yeah, of course he likes his son. But what do you think he thinks about you? You brought him back. Chobot Levot says you're in a different category. Why? You brought back his only son. Meaning it's as if it's his only son. Yeah, but there's others. It's him. It's, the only, it's a different world. So here we see that the significance of Kiruv is extraordinary. The problem is that there is two types of Kiruv. One that works and one that doesn't. This Kiruv word, there's people that make it seem like they're involved in Kiruv, there's people that actually do it. And the reality is, when people tell me, listen, why don't you be like Chabad? Why don't you be like Aish? Why don't you be like uh, these other really big organizations? They tell everybody everything is wonderful. They show love. They have Hanukkah parties. They take them to Israel. They have all types of things. Why don't you do it like that? Why do, why do you have to be so different? I said, there's two reasons. One, rebuke and telling people that they're doing wrong is what Hashem did. And also Moshe. And also every one of the prophets. So I'd rather stick to a system that works. For sure. Why? The source used it. Women are going to say, oh, Hashem, you know what? The system is good, but uh, I'm going to try something else. It's like somebody starting a new uh, cola company to compete with Coca-Cola. Yeah, your, your, your stuff is good, but I'm going to just start something new. But come on, it's ridiculous. What, you think you're going to compete Coca-Cola? People are addicted to the thing. They know it's bad for them, but they still drink it. Even more so, you see what Hashem, you know it works. No, no, I'm going to try something else. Yeah, but Moshe Rabbeinu used the same thing. It worked for him too. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to try something else. Yeah, but uh, David, uh, Shlomo, uh, the, all the prophets, everybody everybody always does it. It's actually even an Alachai in the Rambam. That's what you're supposed to do, Kiruv. Which we'll go over in a moment. So I said, the first reason is, I'm going to use what I know for sure works. The second reason is, I personally don't believe anything else works in this generation. And the proof is, look at the generation. Look at all the major organizations that as wonderful as some of the things that they do, the reality is the generation is becoming more and more secular. Because many of the big organizations and big rabbis and big this and big that, in essence, are trying to sell the Torah as if it's a product and bring it down to the level of the generation instead of bringing the generation up to the Torah. And that's the reason why even the most religious Jews or so-called religious Jews are crying over a soccer team losing. Because we've become so secular in our mindset that we see nothing wrong with it. Why? Because the rabbi, the head rabbi of England is crying over the soccer team. 
He's supposed to be the Moshe Rabbeinu. He's the leader. Imagine, Mount Sinai. Moshe Rabbeinu says, hey guys, listen, I know I've been here for 40 days and everything, I'm supposed to give you guys the Ten Commandments, but there's a soccer match down the street on the other mountain. I'll be back. I'll be back. Just wait a little few, a few hours. And he comes back a few days later crying. What happened, Moshe? What happened? The, 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 the Luchot breed broke, the, 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 the plaques, but what happened? No, the soccer team lost. My team lost. It was Egypt versus uh, Kush. They lost. I don't really feel like uh, doing this whole Luchota breach. Can you guys find somebody else? This is what every leader, even if he's a small little Keilah leader, even if he's got six people, He's the Moshe Rabbeinu. Why? If he says Kasher, they say Kasher. If he says Tameh, he's Tameh. You don't, have, you don't have to be the head rabbi of London or of Israel or of anything. If you are a leader, Makom Shein Ish, Tishtadel Yot Ish. In a place there's no leader, you be the leader. Meaning that when you are the leader, whether it's a class of six or class of 60,000, you better know you're the Moshe. If you're going to start crying over a soccer team, Guess what? Everyone is becoming a, a cryer over soccer teams. But no one's going to have any tears left for Tisha B'Av. And that's a kitrug on the entire nation. That's a prosecution against the entire nation. That's a chilul Hashem by the entire nation to such magnitude that it could literally cause the next world war to begin immediately. No exaggeration. I actually told the guy that it was good that they were that they lost. Why? Because if they were happy that they won, they would be happy during a time of mourning. It would actually be worse. So here, this is one of the ways that a person, without even realizing it, just caused the masses to sin. A simple so-called rabbi who thinks he's special because the goyim haven't killed him yet. Little does he know that as soon as the next war breaks out, they'll kill him first. They always do. Because he's friendly with the goyim and he has a university under his name and he's got a position, he's got this and he's got that. Little does he know that he just made a public chilul Hashem. Little does he know that he just made the public made us make a sin. Enough to put people in danger to such extent. We have to literally do extra tshuva. Just for them. We haven't even started doing our own tshuva. No, that's his friend. Uh, they're buddies. He took over after him. Uh, 
We're not praying for him. Huh? Because Kol Yisrael Aravim Zelazeh. Most people that are sinners against Hashem are sinners not because of themselves. Like he, like the leader, yes, he's definitely one of the wicked that there's no... Uh, you're not even a person like that. I, I personally wouldn't count him in Minyan. Well, I'm not talking, I'm not talking about praying for him. I'm talking about praying for his victims. The victims that they see him as a leader due to their own ignorance. They view him as their own Moshe Rabbeinu. And they think that since he cried, since he mourned over a soccer team, then of course it's like a mitzvah to do it. It's not that they are intentionally going against Hashem. It's that they're ignorant enough to the point where they don't know right and wrong and they determine their right and wrong based on seeing him, seeing their leader. They don't learn from books. They learn from people, which we're not allowed to do. But nonetheless, most people base their Judaism based on, number one, what their father taught them in their home when they grew up. If their father taught them that business is number one, even if he was wearing a kippah, the dollar is God. Number two, whoever their spiritual leader was or someone that they're motivated by, someone that they're connected to, they view religion based on whatever that person does. So if that person goes to sports events, they think a sports event is a mitzvah. If that person you know, says nothing about immodesty, they think that there's nothing wrong with immodesty. If that person teaches Christianity, they think it's a mitzvah to teach Christianity, maybe we'd even consider becoming Christian. And the problem is that people are so ignorant in this generation they have no idea how to determine right and wrong even. Someone came recently, actually two people, with the same question. Could a guy by the name of Ben Shapiro be the next Mashiach? Now Ben Shapiro is a journalist of some kind regards to, specific regards to politics. He has a well-known uh, YouTube channel with almost a million followers and uh, such, and his Facebook and YouTube and all that stuff. Got a lot of followers. Uh, and uh, this Ben Shapiro is a, calls himself an Orthodox Jew. He wears a kippah. And, but his main uh, topics are politics. Talks about politics, political position, goes against the left, the liberals, and so on. And uh, has, as far as ethical standpoints, that seem like they have some substance. And some of them he bases it because of his religious beliefs, some of them because of his moral beliefs. For example, he's an advocate of, uh, he's, uh, he's against, I'm sorry, he's against abortion, just like it says in the Torah. He's against abortion. He's spoken about it several times. Uh, and things like that. So it seems like he's got his head screwed on right. Even though he says that he watches movies, even though he spends an overwhelming majority of his time, if not all of his time, dealing with secular issues, he still 
claims himself to be an Orthodox Jew. So, for the average person who doesn't actually know right and left, when this guy that has a million and a half people following him on the internet says something about Torah, people hold it sometimes in higher regards than if Rav Kanievsky said it. So when he said in an interview that he doesn't really believe in an afterlife like the Torah says because it's not really mentioned literally in the Tanakh and that the whole issue of the Torah is to live a better world here and not necessarily a next world and things about the Mashiach that are against Allah and many, many other things that are against Allah People that don't know Allah are like, oh yes, that's Judaism. Look, it's a well-spoken, polite, nice young man with a kippah. Just describe Judaism to us in his so-called discussion with an atheist. The reality is that when he talks about politics, you'll notice that he uses a lot of sources. This case that happened this time, this case that happened that time, this book that was written here, this speech that was making there, he used a lot of sources for his speech. He's a smart guy. He's a journalist, he's an analyst, he's a lot of different things. He's very, very well-versed when it comes to politics and his political stance and so on. So when he talks about his politics, you see the guy is like a computer. But then when he talks about Torah, nothing. Silence. No sources. No Gemara, no Mishnah. He mentioned the Rambam in passing, but he didn't actually mention where. He just mentioned the Rambam like we mentioned Einstein. Oh, it's, you know, Rambam said. No, he didn't. He didn't say what you said. He actually didn't say what you said. You made it up. But he put his name on it. It's like the Chafetz Chaim. Allah Shalom. His students one time. It's like, Vod We're going to write some Chidushim. Your Chidushim. He said to them, listen, my Chidushim, you don't have to put my name on it. It's okay. My Chidushim, you can write, you don't have to put my name on it. Just make sure you don't put my, you don't, you don't put my, you don't have to. But just make sure that your Chidushim, you don't put my name on that either. My Chidushim, you don't have to put my name on it. If you want to put it there or not, it's fine, no big deal. But your Chidushim, definitely don't put my name on them. Why? I don't know your Chidushim. I don't know if they're right, they're wrong, they're this or that. People throw names like it's like, oh yeah, the Rambam. and uh, Where? So the problem is that a person that thought he was, you know, doing like a, 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 a regular thing, a Kiddush Hashem maybe even, a mitzvah maybe even, by saying, no, Judaism is good, it helps, is this. Little does he know that his ignorance of Judaism made what he said into a Chilul Hashem. Why? Because many people are going to start thinking, oh, this is Judaism, and this Judaism is not so different from Christianity. And he actually compared the two constantly by calling it Judeo-Christian values, as if they're equivalent, as if one is not idolatry. And the reality is that people are foolish enough that at least two, in the last two weeks, have asked me, do you think Ben Shapiro could be the Mashiach? Now, the prerequisite of the Mashiach is to actually know the entire Torah. When you don't even know a simple halakha, 
that already eliminates you. When you've spent your life going after politicians and politics, that also doesn't help you very much. And he actually said in his interview, I don't have anything against him per se, but he thinks the Mashiach is going to be a political figure. I mean, this is, this is stupidity at its highest value according to our Torah. With all due respect to Ben Shapiro, he's very, very good at, at, uh, at, his, at his politics, but stay there if you're going to be politics. Don't talk religion. Do us all a favor. Because as soon as you speak, anyone that knows even a little bit of Torah knows that you have no idea what you're talking about. And you're causing people to sin. You're saying that the, 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 the Mashiach is going to be a political figure? Are you really serious? Do you realize where the, where the word politician stems from? Do you realize what politicians deal with every single day? That you have to be a bona fide liar in order to be a politician? That a politician cares less about what's right and wrong, but only based on what's going to win and what's going to get votes? And you want the Mashiach to be a liar, a thief, a, a, a criminal? That's what you want our Mashiach to be? Is, is there something wrong with you? But this is modern orthodoxy. This is today's orthodoxy. That means nothing. Why? Because we are a nation that doesn't want to be itself. We are having an identity crisis. We're Jews that don't want to be Jews. So, again, this is nothing personal against anybody personal. I care less for any one of them individually. I don't know anything about them. But when you take the Torah and you crumble it into toilet paper, in the name of God... You're a naval birshut Torah, according to the Ramban. You're despicable in the name of Torah, with permission of the Torah. No, it was yes, it was today. No, no. Last year it was another rabbi who was talking uh, from England, huh? A, a, a from England happened to have uh, several heretic head rabbis for the last few years. Yes. Yeah, last, yeah, last yes, year, the one, uh, the one that. Uh, before this guy, uh, his name is Lord Sachs, uh, said that uh, Adam and Eve was a parable, not a real story. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the previous head rabbi. He's uh, also a winner. Uh, so, yeah, listen, the problem is, what, what do we really have here? What do we have there? What do we have everywhere? This is, the problem is everywhere. This is an epidemic. That's why I'm telling you the Mashiach has to come very soon. Or else we're not going to have anything left. But here we see that many of the times that you think that people are doing Kiddush Hashem by spreading Judaism, you realize that not only is it not a Kiddush Hashem, it's actually a Chilul Hashem. Because they're spreading the wrong Judaism. They're spreading Christianity, they're spreading idolatry, but they call it Judaism. So, here the Torah tells us that a person that influences the public to become meritorious, will be protected to such an extent that Hashem will not let him become the cause of sin. But a person that influences the public to sin will not be given the means to repent. Now Tiferet Israel says that one who leads others astray by inciting them to sin or creating opportunities for them to transgress the will of God, will not merit divine assistance in their own attempt to do tshuva. 
Meaning that even though everyone is able to do tshuva, the door of tshuva is always open. Because they cause so many people to sin, the punishment is the worst punishment of do it on your own. The reality is we say in our prayer we can't do anything on our own. We know it, we acknowledge it in our prayer. We can't do anything on our own. Without the help of Hashem, we're nothing. Hashem is so angry at those that cause His other children to leave home that He says, you have no right to return. Why? Just like the Gemara in Maseret Yoma that we talked about last night, in page 87a, where it says that the reason why Hashem gives a person that helps people do tshuva the special merit of not making sins, being protected from sins, they make regular sins, but being protected to a certain extent from some of these bigger sins, is because it's inconceivable, it's unjust for His disciples that actually, that He helped do tshuva, to be sitting in Gan Eden, in heaven, while He goes to Genom. So Hashem says, the gift of you helping them do tshuva, and getting them to Gan Eden, is that I'll do everything I can, to help you get to Gan Eden also. Because it wouldn't be enjoyable for them to be in Gan Eden, in heaven, if they see their teacher in Genom. He says the opposite is true for someone that causes the public to sin. A person that causes the public to sin, the Gemara says, while while Hashem generally helps those who seek to do tshuva, in the case of someone who is responsible for the spiritual downfall of others, it would also be inconceivable and unfair and unjust to help them escape punishment while they have victims that must suffer for their sins. So it's the exact opposite. Midah keneged midah. You cause people to do tshuva. Hashem says, I'm going to do everything I can to get you to Gan Eden, just like the people that you helped to get to Gan Eden. You cause people to do Shailat. You cause people to go against Hashem and go to Geno because of you, because of your radio show because of your speeches with full falsehood, because of your gambling, because of your thievery, because of your immodesty, because of whatever you did, you cause other people to sin, there's no way that I'm going to help you go to Gan Eden while you have victims that are in Gainon because of your actions. It's unjust. So if you're going to do tshuva, you're on your own. Yes? Will Kiruv save you from hell? What do you mean? You did a lot of Kiruv. Yes. You still did some sins. Yes. Will it save you from hell? Depends what kind of sins you have. Depends what kind of sins you have. Right. Depend again. Depends what kind of sins you have. Depends what kind of chuba you have. The reality is that in order to do cube, you have to do chuba, because in order for you, for a person to have cube that actually works, it has to be long lasting. It can't be just a one time thing. And in order for it to be a, a, a long lasting thing, you yourself have to be in chuba, doing chuba. So where do we get this in the Torah? From, from, uh, from Shlomo HaMelech. In Proverbs 28.17, Shlomo HaMelech says, a man, a man involved with the spiritual blood of a person will hasten his own steps to the pit with no support. Shlomo HaMelech says exactly what the Gemara says literally. Obviously preceding the Gemara. Shlomo HaMelech says that a person that's involved in the spiritual blood of another person, meaning he caused another person to sin, that person is suffering for that sin in Gainom, will hasten his own steps to the pit with no support, will not have anything 
helping him get out of his own genom. He's not going to have any, any divine help doing tshuva. Why? Because his own sins are an obstacle to himself. The consequence of his actions. What if he says, oh, I didn't mean it. Okay, you didn't mean it. Good, but the guy's still dead. I understand you didn't mean it. I understand you didn't mean to do it. I understand. It's fine. They understand also in Shemaim. It's still dead. It's still, there's still an outcome for your actions. Meaning you still got to do something. You got to do something about it. So when a woman tells you, yeah, I didn't know that uh, this wasn't allowed. I understand you didn't know. Everybody understands you didn't know. But it still happened. So the only way to fix that is to undo it. Now someone came to the Chafetz Chaim one time, he told me, I want to fix the sin of Lashon Ara. He says, no problem. You have to listen to everything I said. Okay, what do I have to do? He says, go bring a pillow. Pillow? Yeah, yeah, bring a pillow and a knife. Okay. Goes home, said, honey, I need to bring a pillow. For what? Chafetz Chaim. Oh, take the best one we just got for $150. Take down with the with the feathers and everything. Chavetz Chaim is asking for a pillow. He said, "Dola Don't bring him some uh, two dollar pillow from Walmart. Bring him the best one we just bought with the with the silk and everything." Okay. He takes the pillow. He's so excited. He thinks maybe it's going to be like a sleeping session. Maybe the Chavetz Chaim will take out his neshama, bring it to Shemaim, show him the pardes with the eagle and everything. There's a what pillow? He's trying to do tshuva. Comes the Chavetz Chaim. Says, "Okay, come with me. Come to the roof." Goes to the roof. It's like, okay, take the knife, rip the pillow. The guy is getting almost a heart attack right now because he knows the pillow is a week, a week worth of work. His wife is going to kill him. What are you going to do? Gdola is asking him to rip the pillow. He's thinking, okay, maybe it's like magic. He's going to feel his pillow after. So he rips over the pillow. He goes, okay, now throw the feathers everywhere. He throws the feathers everywhere. Listen to the Rav. He sees all the feathers flying all over Yerushalayim, all over here and all over there. And this one's flying over there. And this one, each one of them became like a little bird. So, all right, good. So, that's it? He goes, no, no. That's the first part of tshuva. He goes, okay, so what's the next part? He goes, go collect all of them. He says, what? Go collect all the, all the feathers. I don't know where all the feathers are. Well, how am I going to collect all these feathers? I need to do tshuva, not uh, collect feathers. He goes, exactly. He says, your lashon is no different than the feathers. It's hard to fix it. Why? You said something about her once, right? But then she said it to another one once. And then they said it to somebody else once. And then they said it to another person once. And everybody said it once. And before you know it, the once became a lot of onces. Before you know it, it became like Matan Torah. Millions of people heard once. But only I didn't mean for it to go everywhere. Okay, you didn't mean it happened. I know you didn't mean. You only meant to tell your friend, the one friend, that's a mutual friend. You only meant to tell her one friend that you know that they're getting a divorce. You only told the one friend that you know they're having financial problems. You only told your friend, you meant well, tell them, oh, we say Mazaltov, they won the lotto. They got a big deal. It's a good thing. No, it's mitzvah. Publicize good news. No, it's not your business to publicize somebody else's good news. 
It's not your business to publicize somebody else's good news. It's not your business to tell people, oh, you know, he's rich. You should, you should go to him for tzedakah. It's not your business to tell people, oh, he's rich, go to tzedakah. It's not your business. No, but I meant well. Okay, you meant well, but... Uh, not allowed. Okay, fix it. Tough to fix. Tough to fix. The Chafetz Chaim, you know him now from his books. But the truth is, that when he wrote the books about Lashon Ara, he wasn't exactly the Chafetz Chaim that we know him as. He was insulted publicly on a regular basis. No one invited him. No one called him for lectures. No one wanted to read his books. He would come to Kilots with the with the whole, he would carry the books himself with Agala, horse and carriage, all the books. He'd come after Tfilah, all the books, anybody who for Lashonara, it's like what's Lashonara? The Kila, what's Lashonara? It's like, oh it's a sin, it's a big sin, you know. Sin, where's it say in the Torah Lashonara? No, I provide sources, you can buy the book. If I had money to buy the book, I'd buy chicken. If I had money to buy the book, I'd buy a nice piece of steak. Why would I buy this? I'd buy a different book. Why buy this book? Who needs this book? But the Chafetz Chaim understood the, the meaning of Lashon Ara, That one time he was on a train and there was Lashon Ara happening. People were talking about somebody else. He didn't know them. He was on a train listening to a few people were talking about another person. He understood the magnitude, not of saying Lashon Ara, the magnitude of listening to Lashon Ara, just listening. You know what he did? He jumped off the train. He jumped off the train with the books, jumped off the train, moving. The train was moving. He almost killed himself. He hurt himself, hurt his leg, damaged. He jumped off the train. Not to not say Lashon Ara, to not even hear Lashon Ara. No one would invite him to a keilah to give a speech. No one wanted to buy the book. No one even looked at him. What do you think he was? Chafetz Chaim that you guys know today. Every every wall has his picture. Everybody says, oh, it's a big mitzvah. Lashonara, Lashonara. Did you ever read the book? No, but I heard about it. In a thousand lectures. How many people actually finished the book? How many people even keep half of what the book says? But the reality is that this was already known when he wrote it, when he went to the Rav Godinsky. One of the G'dolei Ador, Chafetz Chaim, considered him bigger, considered him the G'dol Ador. He says, Kvod Arav, tell people about Lashon Ara. He says, of course, Lashon Ara. He said, Lashon Ara. He goes, okay, so Kvod Arav, you agree with him? Of course I agree with you. What do you mean? Anyone knows that Torah agrees with you. He says, okay, so tell your Keilah, tell your congregations, you're the biggest rabbi, tell them, that Lashon Ara is no different than eating pig. He goes, no, I'm not going to do it. He goes, why not? You know it's bad. Yes, so of course it's bad. It's terrible. No. He says, the problem is people don't understand. If I tell them it's just as bad as eating pig, they're going to start eating pig. If I tell them saying Lashon Ara is like eating pig, they're going to start eating pig. It's not so easy to fix eating pig. It's even more difficult to fix Lashon Ara. The problem is that all of these sins are so big and so expensive, it's hard to fix them. So what do you do? 
You get other people to fix them for you. You get other people to do tshuva. You do tshuva also, obviously. Because the only way that Hashem is going to give you the merit to even have the ability to do kiruv is if you're doing serious tshuva yourself. But you get other people to do tshuva. Okay, so the guy is not going to become a chafetz chaim and not say lashonara his whole life again. He's still going to say a little bit. But if you tell him, listen, don't say lashonara, and he doesn't say lashonara once a week. He's still doing it six other days. But once a week he doesn't. That helps you. He's not going to become the Chafetz Chaim and start knowing Lashona Kodesh and so on and so forth, but once a week, he makes one lesson, two lessons, ten lessons. Then he starts making more mitzvot. Then you have more mitzvot. Then you have lessons. And then he tells somebody else the same thing you told him. The other guy, instead of doing it once less a week, twice. Next guy, three times. Next guy, four times. Next guy, five times. Next thing you know, there's an actual organization called Chafetz Chaim that opens all over the world, chambers, and they're spreading the word of the Chafetz Chaim a hundred years after he died. What do you think that started with? Start with one body, one person says, hey, maybe you should do tshuva. So I can do tshuva, I get you to do tshuva. Rabbeinu Yonah and the Rambam both agree that when it says here in this Mishnah, in Maspikin Be'adola Asot Tshuva, meaning that Hashem does not allow a person to repent, says that the punishment for inciting others to sin is that one is unable to get rid of his own sins. Just like we just said, the way to get rid of your own sins is by getting other people to do tshuva. Now, of course, there's going to be a superhero in the comments that's going to say, no, 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 but I heard from some rabbi that if you do tshuva me'ava, if you do tshuva from love then uh, it turns all of your sins into mitzvot. Now, why didn't we mention this? Because to do tshuva me'ava means that you have reached the highest level of yirat shamayim in existence. You reached the yirat shamayim of Avraham Avinu at the Akedah. Where Hashem says, Atayadah now I know you fear me. When? After he almost killed the son. That's Yirat Shemaim that he had. He says, now I know you fear me. That was the highest level of fear of Hashem. And that, the sages say, is the beginning of loving Hashem. The highest level of fear is the beginning of loving Hashem. So doing tshuva me'ava, it's not for everyone, let's say. It's not for everyone. Maybe you, maybe, maybe... Maybe we should be realistic with ourselves. It's not for everyone. Not everyone's going to be able to do such a thing. So the reality is that even Rabbi Nachman Breslov in the Kutem Aran says that for most people this is completely irrelevant. Loving Hashem is irrelevant. It's completely disconnected. And he's talking about tzaddikim, he says. The righteous. He says it's completely, it's not possible for them. Alvai, they get to the highest level of Yirat Shemaim. Alvai. People today, every, 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 every Joshua with a baseball cap thinks he loves Hashem. No, I didn't but they do it. What'd you do? I smoked some marijuana in the woods and I talked to Hashem. I said, Yeah, Hashem is saying you should say Kaddish on yourself with your marijuana. So the reality is is that what's available to us realistically is Chuva Mira, Chuva from fear of punishment, ultimately 
fear of hurting our relationship with Hashem. And hopefully some level of love. But the point is, is that it can't, we can't just skip all these steps. But in order for this tshuva to work, in order for us tshuva, we have to get rid of our sins also. Not just make mitzvot. Part of the way that we get rid of our sins is by getting other people to do it. Now the Rambam in Ilchot Tshuva 6.3, chapter 6, third Alacham, says that there are cases where one's sins are so numerous or so severe that he is punished by being denied the opportunity to do tshuva. Where God decrees that he perish in his wickedness to such an extent that he's punished even for the sins that he committed after he lost his own free will. Since his inability to repent is self-inclined. And the example that the Rambam uses is Pao. He says a person can become such a big sinner that Hashem removes his free choice, just like he did with Sichon, just like he did with Paro, just like he did with Nebuchadnezzar, and several others throughout history, where Hashem decides, you, you're not going to do tshuva. I don't want your tshuva. In fact, I'm going to give you more ways to sin, so I can punish you more. What? This doesn't sound like a merciful God. This doesn't sound like a loving God. Why would a loving God uh, punish a son like this? Why would a loving God not let his son come back home? Why would a loving father, uh, you know, give his son such a trap? Rambam is saying such things. Yes. Rambam is saying such things. Rambam is not only saying such things, this is not a speech. Rambam is posik la'alacha. Rambam says this is alacha. This is a reality. This is a law. Meaning, there's no its opinion. This is the law. Why? Why would such a horrible punishment happen to a person? Because that person made such grave sins, such horrible sins, that he took away the other children too. And influenced them to also go against Abba. It's not that he just sinned on his own and he drove on Shabbat to the beach on himself. By himself. It's not that he just smoked a cigarette by himself on Shabbat. It's not that he just, uh, uh, you know, did something on his own. No. He said, hey guys, you want to go to the beach? Hey guys, want to go have a couple of drinks at that uh, club? Hey guys, uh, why don't we uh, do this? Why don't we do that? Meaning he got people to go with him on a regular basis. He was the club promoter. He was the club promoter. This is why Rabbi Yonatan Ibishit says, when a person does tshuva, it's truly a miracle. Because sometimes we've made so many big sins through our ignorance. If you knew how big the sin was that you've made, when you first started doing tshuva, you would immediately give up. Why? You said, there's no way I can fix this. I know one guy that used to be one of the biggest club promoters in the world. Not just in New York, not just in Florida. In the world. Huge club promoter. He did tshuva. He did tshuva. 
His wife, Kisui Ros, little tzaddikim kids, Shtabach Shemolad, got out of the business completely, opened some kosher restaurants. Tzaddik learns how he used his ability to connect people, to go make sins, to the clubs, fill up clubs with thousands of people, to start doing Kiruv a little bit. The reality is he has to do a lot more than what he's doing right now and for the rest of his life to fix what he did in the past. But nonetheless, Hashem gave him a door opening. Why? He saw this kid is interested. This kid is really looking to use the gift I gave him for the good. He used it for the bad unknowingly. Now he's using it for the good. But still we see that even such a thing where it says that a person, Hashem, doesn't want to let them do tshuva, what does it mean literally? He doesn't help them. Doesn't help them. You're on your own. Your tshuva is going to be very difficult. You're going to you're going to have to make some major sacrifices in order for your tshuva to be welcomed and to actually work. Rav Moshe Al from about 500 years ago, adds that a person that causes other people to sin cannot fully repent for the simple reason that he cannot correct their errors for which he was responsible for. His personal tshuva, his personal repentance alone is insufficient because he's incomparable to one, he's comparable to a person that's tovel v'sheretz behado, a person that seeks to go uh, and purify himself, like going into a mikveh, while holding uh, a pig in his hand, or holding uh, some uh, impure creature and he's going to mikveh to become purified. Yeah, but you have a pig in your hand. You could dip into the mikveh for a week. The pig is still in your hand. You still have a lizard in your hand. You still have a iguana, like I have next to my house all the time, these iguanas. You go into the mikveh with the iguana, you could swim in the mikveh. Nothing's going to happen. You've turned the holiness into just a pool. A person that caused other people to sin is just like that. Now, how could such a person overcome such a thing? It says, Moshe zachav ezikai et ha-rabim, z'chut ha-rabim talui bo. Moshe Rabbeinu was meritorious and influenced the masses to be meritorious. So the merit of the masses was to his credit. Where it says in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33, verse 21, Carrying out God's justice and His ordinances with Israel. So it says that Moshe not only achieved the highest degree of spirituality, moral and ethical perfection as a human being in history, but he also taught the Torah to the Jewish people. Not only did he become the ultimate Talmud Chacham, the ultimate prophet, the ultimate in Midot and everything else, but he shared the knowledge. That's what made him Moshe. It wasn't that he got to such a high level of his own learning, his own character trait development, where he was born with negative character traits of anger and murder and really, really horrible traits. It's actually how he was born. And he worked on himself throughout all, for 80 years before Hashem actually spoke to him. Why didn't Hashem speak to him after two weeks? 
Why didn't Hashem talk to him when he was only 15, 16 years old? Why did he wait 80 years for him to be in this world before he came and started talking to him from a burning bush? Because that's how long Moshe had to go through fixing himself and overcoming obstacles and in essence doing his own tshuva to perfect his own character before he had the merit to speak to Hashem. And even then, he wasn't as great as he would become after Matan Torah when he would teach all of this to the people. So since he brought people to fulfill the mitzvot, in essence, in essence the ultimate Kiruv Rabbi in history, that ever was and ever will be, he also, by getting other people, by getting the nation to keep Torah and mitzvot for eternity during his life and after. Today we only keep it because of him. All of it accrues to his own spiritual merit. Every single mitzvah that you do today, 3,300 years after Moshe left this world, still goes to his account. Why? He lit the fire. So the question is, Rabotai, Am Yisrael was in Egypt for 210 years. Hashem told Avraham Avinu, part of, the, part of this whole mission of, of, of breaking, bringing salvation to your descendants, I'm going to have to bring them down first. Why? Because I created your people, I created you guys as Am Kshe'orif, a stubborn people. You're unbearable. You're unbearable. Without Torah, you're unbearable for the public. You're, you're so much better in many things that it's unbearable for you to associate with others. If you see some of the Midrashim in Me'am Loez and others about the Shvatim, about the 12 tribes, I mean, they were literally superheroes in today's definition. Why, what didn't they have a reason? They had all the reasons in the world to be arrogant and, and so on. So Hashem says, in order for you to be the humble nation that I need you to be, that I want you to be, I have to bring you down first. So I have to send you to Egypt for 400 years. It ended up being 210 years. And the reason why the Midrash says, the Gemaras agrees with it obviously, is that Paro was given the right, was given the license to enslave us. He wasn't given the right or the license to murder us. Meaning he took the license to steal and he used it to murder too. Meaning the punishment was above and beyond what it was supposed to be. But then Hashem sent Moshe Rabbeinu after we were there for 210 years. So the sages asked a, a very, very important question. Why didn't Hashem sent him? Why didn't Hashem sent Moshe Rabbeinu after 100 years? Not 200. Why didn't He send him a year after Paro lost his mind and started killing people in the street? Why do we have to wait so many more years <coughs> before Hashem sent us salvation? Before Hashem sent us the Mashiach, before Hashem sent the Mashiach, we had to suffer. Millions and millions of people had to die. Paro would take dozens of babies, little kids, babies, newborn babies. Every day, Baruch Hashem, Am Yisrael would give birth. Every woman would give birth to six babies. So that means if you have a nation of millions, you have millions of babies, literally on a daily basis. Every day, he would take Dozens and dozens of seemingly innocent babies slaughter them because his 
necromancers told him that since he had tzara'at, he had leprosy, the only cure is Jewish blood. So he would kill them, the little babies, and bathe in their blood. A jacuzzi. It's a psychopath. Every day. Like clockwork. Every day. After he did it the first time, why couldn't Hashem say, no, Hashem, no, look what this guy's doing. He lost his mind. He's taking a shower with babies. It's one time. Well, we have 60 babies in the morning, 60 babies at night. They're finished. Enough. Why do we have to kill millions? The answer is, Rabotai, is because for all of those years, although everyone got affected, although everyone got hurt, although everyone cried, although everyone suffered, for many, many years, no one cared enough to do something about it. What does it mean to do something about it? Sacrifice their own life. Do something about it means mesirut nefesh. Not do something about it like, oh, we're going to have a vote. We're going to kick you out, Paul. Start doing a, uh, you know, a, uh, what is it called? Protest. Protest. Everyone will sign. No, no. No, Paul. Oh, no. No, no. no protest. What does it mean? Mesirut nefesh. Mesirut nefesh literally means throwing your soul. Throwing your soul in the train tracks to save the kids, to save the people, to save the innocent, to save the ignorant, to save all the people that are, in essence, victims. No one cared enough to do it until Moshe Rabbeinu started crying for Am Yisrael and Hashem said, Hashem, I can't do this, Hashem. They're killing kids in the streets. They're killing people in the streets. Let me save them. Only after 210 years that we were in Egypt, did somebody finally do it? Oh, Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem says, you care? You'll be my shepherd. You care about my children? You'll be the one that saves them and you'll also be the one that gets the merit for all of them doing tshuva. How long? Eternity. Why? You're the one that ignited the fire. You're the one that ignited the fire. You're the one that gave the CD. You're the one that sent the email. You're the one that sent a text message. Because of that text message that cost you zero, because of the CD that you got for free that you just passed over to the next guy, because of the email, because of that small, tiny little move, you're the first guy that ever introduced this person to Torah. The next thing you know, his family knows Torah. The next thing you know, his kids know Torah. The next thing you know, one of his kids becomes a rabbi. He starts having a little Talmidim. He starts writing books. He's the next Chafetz Chaim. He's the next Ravavadya. He's Maybe he's the Mashiach. All of it goes to you. All of it goes to you. Why? You send a text message that costs you nothing. We're free. Free. That's chesed Hashem. And that's why the Pasuk says, Titen emet liyaakov, chesed Avraham. Give emet to Yaakov. Chesed to Avraham. The kindness. Part of that kindness comes from Hashem. How? Look at the reward you're going to get for this emet. Look what kind of reward you couldn't even imagine 
the reward you were going to get when you did it. You thought, oh, maybe I'll do tshuva, it's good for him. Like, oh, maybe I'll have a mitzvah in Shemaim. You come up to Shemaim and say, oh, Baruch Abba, Baruch Abba, you see there's castles and spiritual castles and planets and worlds and servants and all the great things that you can't even imagine and a red carpet and a blue carpet and all. You're looking for the king. You're looking, who's coming? Moshe's coming. Aaron's coming. Who's coming? He's like, you! Me! Why? Who am I? What me? What? Look what you did. They show you all the people, all the people you created. You gave one CD, the guy did tshuva. He got married. She did tshuva. They did tshuva. They had a few kids. Three, four, five, six, seven kids. They had 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 kids. A talmidim. Talmidim of the kids. Grandkids. Friends. Parents. This, that. Next thing you know, they show you, look, you created 60,000 people. These 60,000 people made an infinite amount of mitzvot. Each day, we're building you a new castle from just from the mitzvot. For what? You sent the message that cost you nothing. You sent a CD that cost you nothing. You sent a few hundred dollars to an organization that actually does cure instead of host parties. So that... Rabotai is one of the things we learned from Moshe Rabbeinu. We see from Moshe Rabbeinu the, the, the teachings from the Gemara, Maseret Baba Batra, page 9a. Gadol yoter The one who causes others to do mitzvot is even greater than the ones who does the mitzvot himself. The prime example of that is Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, why is this so big? Why? You'll see this verse that says that Moshe Rabbeinu carried God's justice and His ordinances with Israel. So what does it mean that He carried out God's justice and his ordinances with Israel. Tzidkat Adonai Asa u'mishpatav im Israel. Im Israel, with Israel, means that Rashi explains it. This verse is teaching us that Moshe figuratively carried out all of the laws of the Torah along with the people of Israel. That their actions are deemed his since he inspired them to live the Torah. And one of the chidushim that I got while I was learning this is that's the reason why Hashem in the parashat Vayetchanan, when Hashem Barach told Moshe, stop praying, Rav Lach, enough, you've had enough. Where the Chazal says, what do you mean he's had enough? He's praying, well, why, why are you praying? He tells him, stop praying? He says, no, no, Moshe, stop, you've had enough. Why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu was begging Hashem 515 times to let him go into Eretz Yisrael. Why? Because he wanted to fulfill the mitzvot in Eretz Yisrael. That he can't fulfill the mitzvot outside of Eretz Yisrael. So he said, Hashem, let me go into Eretz Yisrael, build up at the Mikdash, the Korbanot, all things I can't do over here. He goes, no, 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 it's enough. You don't need to do it. No, Hashem, okay, you know what? I won't be a Moshe. I'll be like a helper for Yoshua. I'll just be a little guy over here. Just don't know. No, no, Moshe, enough. You can't do it. No. Okay, I won't be a guy. I'll be a cow. I'll go. I'll go. Forget, I won't be a human. I'll be a cow. Let me just go see it. Let me just go be a cow. Mm. A cow. I want a little cow. Mm. That's it. Just a cow. 
No, no, Moshe, you can't. Maybe they're going to cut, they're going to catch you, they're going to make you koban. It's a problem, Moshe, you can't do it. Enough, enough. Okay, okay. Hashem, I got it. I got an idea. I got an idea. 515 idea. I'll be bird. I'll be bird. Bird, I'm flying. No one's going to see me, Hashem. I'm going to hide. No, if they catch you, you're going to be a kosher bird. If they catch you, it's going to be koban. Meaning, Moshe Rabbeinu was willing to be a bird. A bird, Rabotai, a bird. Not, 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 a, not Moshe, imagine. The giant of all giants is saying, forget being a giant. Forget being a leader. Forget being a human. Forget being anything. I'll be a bird that no one sees and no one pays attention to. And maybe at best case scenario, someone will catch me and slaughter me. The best case scenario. He wants to do that. Hashem says, no, Rav Lach, enough. No. Why? Why not? Why enough? Why enough? Because Hashem understood that the only point, the only point of why Moshe wanted to go into Eretz Yisrael was to fulfill the mitzvot that he could not fulfill outside of Israel. So if Hashem only wanted Moshe Rabbeinu not to enter Eretz Yisrael purely as a punishment, he'd say, Moshe, no. No. Pashut, no. But he didn't say no. What did he say? Rav Lach. Enough for you. What does it mean, enough for you? Moshe, you don't need to enter Eretz Yisrael to fulfill the mitzvot that you cannot fulfill outside of Eretz Yisrael. Why? Because all of your students are going to Eretz Yisrael and every one of them will fulfill those mitzvot and all of those mitzvot go to your account anyway. You have enough. Don't worry. All of those mitzvot go to your account anyway. You don't need to enter Eretz Yisrael. You don't need to. The mitzvot that you're looking to do, you don't need to do them. You have 10 million people about to do them for you. Ravlach, you have enough, don't worry. You're good. You're good to go. You're good to go, Moshe. I'll buy a land to be good to go for one thing. But you understand? That is the significance that we learn. But why is it so big? Why is it so big? There's also another thing we learned from this Pasuk. 500 years ago again, Rav Moshe Al-Shachar says, look at the word where it says, Tzitkat Hashem. Tzitkat Hashem literally means in the verse, Hashem's justice. But if you change the vowels, letters stay the same, but you change the dots. It also means tzedakat Hashem. Tzedakat Hashem means giving tzedakah to Hashem. What's tzedakah? What are you going to give to Hashem? Money? It says money. Liya kesef v'liya zav, neum Hashem tzevaot. What are you giving? Prayer? Prayer is for you. Prayer is for you. Praying for you, not praying for Him. What? Learning Torah? Learning Torah for you so you don't go to Gainom so you know what to do, how to be a Jew. You don't learn for Him. Mashiach comes, going to ask each and every single one of us, what would you do for me? So I learned Torah, learned for you. I uh, prayed, learned, prayed for you. I give zakat, it's not your money anyway. I was really nice to my wife. Okay, that's because the only reason you're still alive, she didn't kill you in your sleep. I was, uh, I worked, everybody works. I had a tough life, everybody has a tough life. I suffered, everybody suffers. What would you do for me? I'm still waiting for an answer. 
Where's the tzedakah for Hashem? Rabat Shechav says, learn from Moshe. The only way you can give Hashem tzedakah, Hashem, the one that has everything, the one that creates everything, is the only thing that he does not take control over. And what, what is that? Your free choice. You have a free choice to be righteous or not, to have fear of Hashem or not. That means that we have the free choice to be sinners. We have the free choice to be righteous. That's the point of this world. That's the test. Now if one of his children goes and leaves home and decides to be a sinner, or he doesn't even know he's a sinner, she doesn't even know she's not allowed to wear tight clothes, she doesn't even know she's not allowed to wear clingy clothes, she doesn't even know she's not allowed to walk around with her hair out if she's married, she doesn't know she's not allowed to go eat at any restaurant, even if it's just fish. She doesn't know any of this stuff. And you tell, hey, honey, honey, you gotta come, do tshuva. Do tshuva. Come, bring her to the shiur. Come, bring her for Shabbat. Come, give her a little sefer teilim. Give her a sefer aneni. Teach her how to pray. Teach her modesty. Do, do, do. Next thing you know, you got a little tzaddikit. That's the katwashem. Why? You brought back, you gave Hashem something that he chooses not to take on his own. Meaning it's the only thing you can give him is his children back. That's the only thing you give Hashem. Everything else you do is only for you. Your prayer, your learning, your mitzvah, everything is for you. You can do nothing for, you, for him. Everything is for you. It's not for him. The Mashiach is going to ask us, what do you do for you? You're going to tell him, Torah, mitzvah, okay, good, that's for you. What about for me? What about for Hashem? What do you do for Hashem? Oh, Torah, mitzvah, no, 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 that's for you. We finished. Give you a count. Shh, check. Here's a check. Okay. What about to bring Mashiach? What about to sanctify Hashem's name? What about staka for Hashem? Hashem has given you everything. Give him some staka. What are you going to say? Oh, I thought, I didn't mean it. Okay, do over. Like my daughter says, try again, try again, 500 times ago. Try again, try again. No, try again. What is it? Staka Hashem. Sakala Hashem is bringing his children back home. Rabbi Shakal says that's the only stakal, that's the only thing that you can give Hashem. God considers the Jews fulfilling his mitzvot as charity, as stakal given to him. Since Moshe Rabbeinu brought the people to a spiritual plateau by guiding them and offering them rebuke when needed, he is considered to have given God something of his own. Tiferet Israel says that Moshe even received credit for the nation's performance of mitzvot, which could only kept in the land of Israel, like we said. Even though he never kept them himself, because they were fulfilled only as a result of his instruction and his inspiration. And that's the reason why Hashem used the word Rav Lach, was the Chidush. That's why Hashem used the word Rav Lach and not simply no. He says, you already have enough mitzvot. Yeah, but I didn't do them yet. Yes, but they will. And that goes to your account. So here we see, Rabotai, that there's an extraordinary amount of value to do kiruv, but the opposite is true as well for someone who doesn't. What they lose when they arrive in Olam Abba and they're empty-handed with stakah that they owe Hashem, the one that gives them everything, they realize that they spend a whole life in this world, 70, 80, 120 years, 
and they didn't give Hashem a single thing. All they did is for themselves. Imagine every day you got something, you got something, you got something, you got something. And after all said is done, and uh, Hashem says, okay, can you give me some? I thought I was doing something. No, no, all that's for you. Everything I gave you, I gave, I gave. I only want one thing from you. No, nothing. Empty-handed. What kind of bushah we're going to have? What kind of embarrassment we're going to have? And that's also why in Shema Yisrael, it says, Ve'afta et Adonai Elohecha b'chol levavecha v'chol nafshecha b'chol meodecha. With all your heart, with your soul, and with your price and your most prized possession. The Gemara says that most people consider their money their prized possession. But for someone that's a Talmid Chacham, for someone that learns Torah, for someone that's a kosher Jew, sometimes they're going to value the Torah much more. Much more valuable than they're going to value their money. So for them, he says, even your Torah that you value, put that on hold, go do Kiruv. Your Torah that you value is your most prized possession, I don't want your money. I want your time. Why? Go teach the Torah that's the most valuable to you, go teach it and share it with Am Yisrael. That's why we have to teach. That's what we have to do. It's not something for you to do on your own. On the opposite end of the spectrum, we'll finish here. Yerovam ben Nevat. Yerovam ben Nevat. Chata ve'echtit ha'rabim. Chet ha'rabim talui bo. Shenemar chatot Yerovam. Asher chata ve'asher echtit Yisrael. Yerovam ben Nevat sinned and caused the masses to sin. And therefore the sin of the masses is charged against him. Yerovam was a servant of King Shlomo. And after Shlomo's death, he led the secession of the ten northern tribes, ten out of the twelve tribes, and became their king. But because he took the position illegally, he knew that there's something kosher and unkosher in his own house. So you're always going to see the people that are always suspicious of everyone else are the biggest criminals. The one that thinks that everyone is lying is the biggest liar. The one that thinks that everyone's a cheater and everyone's cheating them is usually the biggest cheater. Yehovah was the epitome of that. It was the prime example of that actually. It's the right word. And he was afraid that if he made the pilgrimage like all of Am Yisrael to the Bet HaMikdash during the Shlosha Meraglim, the three main holidays, and they would go to Yerushalayim, then he would lose his kingdom. Because they would see he's not the right he's not the right king. Who told you to be king? So what did he do? He said, since I'm not really the legitimate heir to the, the, the King David, I've, you know, as soon as they see me, they'll realize uh, I'm not I'm not allowed to be here. But if I tell this to my people, they're also going to kick me out. So what do I do? I'll make a new rule. What? Now to go to Betamidas. Now let's go to Bet HaMikdash. 
Why? There are statues. There's idols there. And he put idols there. He says, no, no, now there's a new thing I got from Hashem, I'm a king and everything. All you got to do to connect to Hashem is uh, pray to these idols. So instead of everybody going to do mitzvah, by going to the Beit HaMikdash, he stopped them from fulfilling the mitzvah and he replaced it with a sin. What sin? The worst sin of idolatry. So he became a choteu machtit arabim. Not only he sinned himself, he caused other people to sin. And that's why the Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin says he has no share of the world to come. By no share of the world to come is the Torah, the Torah's political correctness, if you will, of saying that the person is in Genom, in the seventh level, forever and ever suffering, with no end in sight, with no break, with no mercy, with nothing. That's what it really means. No world, no, no Lama seems to us like, oh, it's not so bad. It's just like, it's like he just disappeared. He doesn't feel the pain. No, no. No Lama means the worst. No Lama is worse than the Shiu I told you guys about Genom. That's what it means. And why? Because his ego got in the way. He could have easily lived a happy life. He could have easily learned some Torah, did some mitzvot, happy, married, kids, this, what, what, what do you need in life? No, I want to be a king. So for just a small, tiny little thing to be considered important in the eyes of the ignorant, he risked everything. He lost everything. Now what was his gain? His gain was for a short lifetime. What was his loss? His loss was for eternity. This is why people spend an enormous amount of money every day investing into stocks, investing into businesses, investing into bitcoins, investing into real estate, investing into all types of things, currencies and so on, stamps, paintings, cars, Every nonsense that moves or doesn't move that could potentially be worth something or not, people put a value on it. To such an extent that even the things that used to be worth something like paintings, like art, that has been manipulated to such an extent that any real artist, any real person that appreciates art has no idea what he's doing anymore. Why? Because even that has been manipulated to such an extent that the actual value of the art is determined by a bunch of people that are manipulating the industry to begin with based on their own self-interest. But that's all because people don't learn Musar, they don't learn Midot, they don't have someone that they believe is overseeing them and recording every single thing that they're doing. They don't have a God in their life. But people invest into this. They invest into this self-inflicted wound, this poison. Now let's say everything works out like we said before. Let's say they, their, their assets and their business and their everything goes up in value. And they become very rich in money. And they can buy more than one car and more than one house. And they have a house in every block. And they have a castle. And they have uh, more, more than enough cars that to the extent they don't have to drive anymore. And they have planes. And they have castles. And they have this. And, they have, and all that stuff. Okay, eventually they die. They have all the stuff. They're the Warren Buffett of the world. Has $80 billion, more than enough money of what he can do with. Even if he spent $100 million a day, he wouldn't run out of money in his lifetime. 
$100 million a day he would spend, he wouldn't run out of money. But he's going to die, like everybody else. Then, what is that money worth? Nothing. Oh yeah, he's going to do charity after he dies. Look, he's not going to enjoy it. He's dead. Oh, he built a lot of things. His name is recognized and known. Who cares? He's dead. You don't enjoy things if you're dead. Someone wrote uh, your name on his building. Somebody wrote a book about you. Great, you're dead. You're not enjoying it. You're dead. You're sand. Your lunch and dinner for the cock- for the uh, for the uh, for the snake and the uh, and the uh, worms in the grave. There's meat worms, size like this. Each one's like this. Each one of these worms, like this, much. Worms, fat like naknik, uh, like hot dogs. They meat. You become meat sandwich, kosher. No, so they wrote a book about you. So what? You don't enjoy it anyway. Your cars, you didn't drive when you were alive, you're definitely not driving when you're dead. No. Why? What are you going to do with all that stuff? The paintings that you enjoyed and you look, oh, what do you think? Is she smiling, the Mona Lisa? Or you think she's just like a smirk? Who cares? You're dead. You owned it. Okay, she's smiling, she's not smiling. It's a mistake. Who cares? You're dead. Then what? People invest so much money into this, but it's all worthless at the end. What are you going to have after? The only thing that you can have is Torah, mitzvot, umasim tovim. The wisdom that stays with you eternally from the Torah, the mitzvot that you've made in accordance to the Torah because the Torah said so, and the good deeds that you've made. What kind of good deeds can you possibly make? Isn't that Torah? Isn't that mitzvot? No. The good deeds is that's the to Hashem. The to Hashem by bringing his children back. That's what you can do. That's the only thing that's going to last. That's the only thing that's going to actually carry any weight. When you go up to the Beddin of Shemaim, it's the only thing that will have any value whatsoever. The paintings and the, uh, and the museums you built will not help you a little bit even. They're not even considered a mitzvah. So that's Rabotai is what we have to learn. I think the laws of rebuke we're going to have to go to another day because it's already late. So I'll give you guys uh, the floor if you have any questions. Yeah. yeah. Um, I heard some stuff about Tikkun uh, Chatzot. Ken. If you learn the two temples, you will see the third temple. Assuming that you've, also, you've done Tshuva everywhere else. Is it very Chashut to do Tikkun Chatzot? It's a good schoola to do. But I think that the way that is... It, People, this, rabbis describe, or speakers describe some of these tikkunim and some of these gulot is a little bit of a... Um, no, it's not really an exaggeration. It's just a lack of understanding of the generation. The Rebbe Mikotsk said not everything that is thought, that you think in your head, should be said. And not everything that's said should be written. And not everything that should be written, that, that is written should be published. And not everything that should be pu- that's published should be read. Meaning that the, 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 the Rebbe Mikotsk 
had not only an understanding of the Torah, he had an understanding of the psychological state of mankind. In Chochmah, Adam, knowing a person, knowing and understanding a person. And I think that that's one of the most important parts of communications. Because if I look at you and I tell you things about a bunch of different mitzvot, when in reality you have no idea what I'm talking about. Because you're a beginner, and I have to talk to you in a beginner level, I have to give you Aleph Bet. And uh, I'm talking about Alachot Shabbat, and you don't even know what Shabbat is yet. So I'm wasting my time. So the thing is though, is that when you tell people about these different skulot, if you look at the skulot, if you look at whether it's the Rabbi Nachman Rebreslev's Tikkun, or it's the Arizal, or it's the Gaon Vilna, or it's uh, Tikkun Rachel, or Tikkun uh, Leah, or all of these Tikkunim and Zgulot and so on, when they say, listen, a person that does this doesn't go to Gainom, a person that goes this, doesn't, sees Bet HaMikdash, sees Mashiach, all this stuff, that is based on a simple understanding that you are doing this Tikkun above and beyond full tshuva. Meaning, you've, you're doing full tshuva already, and you're just adding this little ingredient on top of it. So now you do full tshuva, which means you're going to Gan Eden anyway. But now you want to go to Gan Eden and see Mashiach in your life. And uh, go and have even a better Gan Eden. And do this. And you want to, you know, it's like a topping. It's like olives on the pizza. More. You're already going to get the pizza, but you get olives too. So... When these tikkunim were written, regardless of by who, they're assuming you're doing full tshuva. So if you do this tikkun also, you'll have even better. But unfortunately, today's communicators don't communicate that. Today's speakers don't speak that. They tell you, do this gula, give $500 to my organization, and everything's going to be fine, and uh, you're going to go to Ganeden, and da, da, da. no, no, it doesn't work. It's not, there's no get-out-of-jail-free card. There's no easy way to Gan Eden. There's a specific Gemaraz about it, one after another, talks about there's three things that require a life full of sacrifice. Becoming Tamit Chacham, going to Gan Eden, and living in Eretz Yisrael. It's Mamash, it's, it's a rule in the Torah. It's, there's no easy way to get to Gan Eden. There's no easy way. There's no Zgula that's going to get you there. It doesn't matter if you wear payers and it reaches the floor. It doesn't matter if you do Tikkun Chatzot until you're, you're bleeding from your eyes. None of that stuff matters. If you're not going to do full tshuva, it's all meaningless. Full tshuva is the prerequisite. So that's what we have to understand. So when anyone communicates, yeah, you should do this gula, yeah, they mean well. They mean well. You, you should do it. You should do this gula if it's a real gula and it has a source. Like the ones you're mentioning have a source. No problem. They're good. But that's assuming you're doing full tshuva. But if that's what you're going to base you're going to end on, based on just this gula, but your tshuva is going to be like 50-50, it's not going to help you one bit. Like all the people that are growing payers, because someone told them that Rabbi Nachman and Breslev is going to take them out of Gainom from their payers because they grew the payers and so on, if they didn't completely fix their midot, Rabbi Nachman and Breslev would not even be able to recognize them as a Jew. If they didn't fix their midot, if they didn't fix their breed, they can't get out of Gainom. Rabbi Nachman can't help you because you have some hair. Hair is not going to help you. I'll be burned with the rest of you. 
So people need to use a little bit of logic, a little bit of common sense. There's no easy way. Unfortunately, I don't know, either people don't have common sense or the speakers are just miscommunicating. I'm not really sure what the problem is. But I'm telling you, there is no easy way. Trust me, if there was an easy way, that would be the only shiur would give. If there was an easy way to get Eden, you would never hear a word of Musa from me. You would never even hear Pasha Shavua. I would just repeat the same word or the same uh, 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 easy thing over and over again, like a marketing commercial. Now, free, Gan Eden. All you have to do is donate $6.99 here. Send the money to the, one of the fast speakers. Oh, shipping and handling is forty seven ninety nine. That's how I want to say it. Easy way to Gan Eden. Why, why, why? I'm going to have toil and break my head and get this and get that and study all day and all night and this and that to give you a shield prepared on a silver platter. If there's an easy way to do it, well, Why? Well, I have, I have some special uh, 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 pleasure of seeing you guys break your head becoming tzaddikim. If there's an easy way, I'm the first one to give it to you. I'm the first one to do it. I'm the biggest customer, for sure. I'm the biggest investor, easy way. There's no easy way, though. I looked. And look, oh, I keep looking. There's no easy way. No easy way. No easy way. You got to do full tshuva. But the beautiful part about tshuva is that the more you do it, more pleasant it is. Not easy. It's never easy. But it's pleasant. There's a sense of pleasure that you get from fulfilling a difficult mitzvah that you will never be able to get from anything else in the world. There's a sense of pleasure that you get for praying at 5 o'clock in the morning. You're not going to get that pleasure for praying at 9 or 10. The sense of pleasure of fasting Really fasting and learning, not fasting and sleeping all day. Fasting and learning all day, there's a sense of pleasure. You fasted and you learned all day. It's that pleasure that you're going to get at the end of the fast. You're never going to get it if you did it any other way. You slept all day. It's a spiritual pleasure that you get from mitzvot that you're not going to be able to get anything. If you learn Torah, let's say you sit, you're here with me for a couple of hours. It's a pleasure to do it. You open a Gemara, you learn a couple of hours. It's pleasant, it's good. Different pleasure. Go learn four hours straight. Without talking. Without talking to your wife, to your kids, to you, to anybody. Go learn four hours Gemara straight. Five hours Gemara straight. No, uh, you know, smoke breaks every two seconds. No, uh, I'm going to go, let me check my email, check my text, check my email, check my text, check my email, check my text. And in between, maybe I have some time for Torah. No, go learn. Oh, sit down and the only break you have is going to the bathroom if you have to. But no talking, no nothing. Go learn four or five hours. You're in Gan Eden after it. Gan Eden. Gan Eden. Mamash, you, you start suffering from being back in this world. Go do that. Go do it for six hours, seven hours, eight hours. The feeling that I remember I got, Betzalel and I studied on, on uh, last year together. Nine hours, ten hours straight. Shtabachimolad. What was it? The, the Breslov Center at uh, Oshana Rabba. Oshana Rabba, we studied nine, ten hours straight. I'm telling you, I felt like I was like, I said, okay, Olam Abba, looks so good. Different world. People were like, how are you still up? Up? I was flying. Flying, well, I was fly. I could have fly. I could have went for another two days. You're into it, you're in a different world. That's pleasure. That's real pleasure. That's real pleasure. Rest of the stuff. Okay, you make a good burger. Okay, you pleasure for two seconds. <laughs> what pleasure do you have in this world? 
So tshuva is not easy. It never is. But it gives you a pleasure that you cannot feel anywhere else. Any questions? Same price. Beseda, the uh, rules of rebuke we're going to have to talk about another day because they're long. It's a, a whole chapter in the Rambam. And uh, it's critical that we do it, but it seems like today wasn't the day. seems like today wasn't the day because uh, it will take at least 45 minutes to an hour to do it. Uh, I mean, I can read them to you, but we have to explain what it actually means and so on. It's a lot. There's actually a bunch of notes of other material that I wrote and prepared for you guys that I didn't even cover, but Ishtabach Shem Hashem gave us a lot of things to talk talk about that even uh, many of the things that I want to talk about I didn't even cover. Uh, but we'll do it again. Uh, um, the next year we have a shiur on Sunday at the Breslov Center this week. Uh, this Sunday. This Sunday coming up is a special shiur for Refuash Lema. Uh, this Sunday, instead of Hollywood, it's going to be at the Breslov Center. No, no fast this Sunday, just a special shiur. This fast is the following Sunday. Uh, but it'll be about it'll be about Tisha B'Av. It'll be about different things. Uh, definitely worthwhile shiur. Different, not part of any series. Just going to be a special shiur. Then we have a uh, the regular shiur on uh, Tuesday at the Breslov Center, and then the next shiur on Wednesday will be in uh, August House in uh, Miami. Um, and then we have Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av uh, a few days later, Sunday, following Sunday. Uh, but we'll talk about that more next week. Bezod Hashem. In the meantime, thank you for learning with me. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve'amen. About? No, right, but Bezod Hashem, on top of every page. Okay, Shecha. Perfect. Shecha, Shecha, Shecha. Shecha. Oh, question, go. You also found that uh, from the story from when when Yaakov, when Yaakov heard that you know, Joseph you know, was there, mm-hmm. he thought he was there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this prophetic uh, ability kind of went away, so he should have prophesied. No, ten uh, Well, there's yeah, there's a couple, there's a couple of things. One is that um, well, the word the verse titen is uh, not said in Bereshit, it's not said in the five books of Moses, it's said in the Prophet Micha. It's in the Tanakh, just later on. Um, Yaakov is uh, used in a couple of ways in the Torah. The, the basic is to how Hashem gave Yaakov the second name Israel uh, when he got to the highest level. 
Just like, for example, when Hashem added the hay to the name of Ram, so in essence, he made a name change for him, he made a name change for Yaakov. Uh, the second thing is, is that uh, it shows when Yaakov was, had his prophecy and when he didn't. And the third thing is that we got from the Gaon Mivina, I believe, is that the Gaon Mivina says that uh, any time that it's referred, that Yaakov is referred to as Yaakov, and not as Israel, it's in essence not referring to Yaakov individually, it's referring to the entire nation of Israel when they're in the exile, mm-hmm. not when they're in, uh, you know, in, in Eretz Israel. If, if Amisai can prophesize? Yeah, when it's, since the name Yaakov is it from that you know, sentence. Oh, you mean can Amisai do prophecy when it's called yeah, when Yaakov? Uh, I mean, we had we had prophets until the Choban uh, Bet Mikdash, until the destruction of the Bet Mikdash. So after after the destruction of Bet Mikdash, there was no more prophecy. So in essence, that's when we went into the exile. So you're right, Chidush, nice. Good, Zakbol, Zakbol. Anything? Okay. 